All right, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Um, good. All right, and we are live for the second time in one day. <laughs> I was just talking to Lars about how just going from one to the other is a little bit chaotic. We just literally went from meetup number 60 to meetup number 61. Um, and here we are joined by Lars. Good afternoon. I believe we are at the same time. How are you doing, Lars? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, really interesting to see the other talk as well. And uh, yeah, glad to be here. Good, good, good. Um, so to, obviously we're changing gears a little bit. We just came out of an intro to, to Kubernetes session. If this is your first time, welcome to the Data on Kubernetes community. Um, you've got all of our links uh, in the YouTube description. If you want to check us out on Slack, on Twitter, um, on LinkedIn, as you can tell, we're doing lots and lots of meetups about lots of different things. I have to say that machine learning is a hot topic. Lars, why is that? Why is it so cool? Why is that? Um, good question. Maybe... It I feel like it has something magical about it, right? Like uh, the first time you see like AI do something that you thought computers could never do. Like, I think, I think that does something. So uh, um, I think that's the main reason. Okay. Okay. So and if, in your experience, what was the first time that you really encountered AI? Oh, good, good question. Um, that must've been like in, in university. Um, so I, I had, uh, I actually had a, so, so my background is in computer science. Um, and I, I had, a, I remember having a course about AI. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, th that starts off with like, you know, like Deep Blue. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, with yeah, Blue. yeah. Gary Kasparov. Yeah. Gary chess. Kasparov. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's super cool. That's cool. Yeah. 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 That, that's really cool. So, so that, that's actually what, what, what the course started with. And you know, once you start digging into it and, and you know start finding out how these things actually work, um, yeah, that there's just something about that, and and you know the end result of, of you know building building a model or, or uh, an algorithm and just seeing it you know live a life of its own and, and do its own thing. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. So the thing is, Deep Blue that was in the '90s. I mean, I'm old enough. I, I'm pretty sure I'm older than you, but I think that was in the '90s, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And uh, it, I wasn't even alive back then, but it, you know, like just watching watching that match unfold, it's, it's just really, uh, yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Cool. Talk about other things that you like, because we saw this in the description. You're also into Chinese culture and meditation. Tell us a little bit about that. Oof. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, maybe meditation. Um, so yeah, I, I, I got in contact with um, meditation in general, uh, I think about two, two to three years ago. Um, I didn't think much of it at the time um, when I encountered it, but later on, I think it was a, a couple of months, maybe a year after, uh, you know, I first uh, talked to people that, that knew about this. Um, I felt like I, I could really make use of some of the practices in there. And uh, for the past two years, I have been uh, yeah, making use of that. So I'm meditating daily and, and trying to apply um, meditation practice in, in, in my daily life. And, and I can always say it has really, you know, like uh, um, been very beneficial so far. And I'm really enjoying, uh, uh, enjoying doing this and, and, you know, getting the benefits from it. So that's good. I mean, I think you picked an interesting time to start doing it because with everything that we've been going through as a planet, I think it's a probably a good time to, to get some balance in that. We can maybe take a look at, a little, at that a little bit later. Um, but that being said, if you want to go ahead and jump right into your presentation, as usual for folks that are in the audience, if you've got questions, put them in the chat. We'll get to them accordingly. 
Um, but without further ado, Lars, if you want to go right in, I just have to ask, do you know Tim Vandekeer? Because he's asking already about the, your plants. Um, Make it <laughs> already. Oh, that's quite quick. I, I I don't happen to know him. I, I have oh, well, seen you him will, around. You will soon. He's a big. He's he, he's an amazing community member of the DOK. So anyway, no, but he was very complimentary of your plants, and I do like your plants. Plants give oxygen, so that's good. Thanks. Yeah, it's really nice. It's uh, it's very nice to have these around me, and, and they they you know bring some life to the to the environment. Absolutely good. Um, so, let's see. If you want to share your screen? Jump right in. Yeah. Let's see here. Um. See if I can share it. I'm not using Zoom a lot. Can I share like an individual tab here? Uh, Don't worry. Yeah, we're all getting used to different tools. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think I'll, I'll uh, use my entire screen here. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like I said, I'll be monitoring the uh, YouTube chat for questions. So if, if anything, yeah, sure. I'll just I'll just chime in. All right. Uh, it looks like I'm gonna need to uh, have to give Zoom some permissions to actually record my screen. So I'll be right back. That's okay, no worries. Um, in the meantime, we can talk about, we can think about, uh, you know, different meditation strategies. Seriously, and the thing, <laughs> you know, because I'm a really impatient person. So like it, 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 the idea of like, oh, I'm gonna sit still for, you know, two hours at a time and be quiet is something that in my mind is just like inconceivable, you know? Um, right. But the good thing about meditation is that it doesn't have to be a religious thing. It, there, and there are lots of different kinds of meditation, I think, as well, is that for people, like I like running, and I think in some ways running can put you in a meditative state because you're concentrated, you're focused. But just getting, you know, five minutes to sit quietly, and also for people that aren't that into it, if you just look, go to YouTube and look for mindfulness meditations, there are tons. You can get one minute, ones, two minutes, five minutes, however uh, the amount of time that you want to dedicate. Um, but, uh, but yeah, oh, good. We're already getting some lively stuff in the chat. This is good. This is the power of improvisation. Um, because you just never know what's going to happen. But looking at these different things and thinking about, you know, the future of, of um, you know, what, what can machine learning bring to meditation and what can meditation bring to machine learning? I think that's a, a question that we'll probably have to tease out a little bit more once we, uh, once we get Lars back with us. Oh, there you are. You're back. Good. Here we go. Yeah. It, it, it took some time, but we're, but we're back. It's all good. All right. That's part of the magic. This is, this is part well, of the fun. It, it is. It is. So let's get the show on the road, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. So, yeah, very. Um, so I, I was uh, watching the the previous talk, and uh, just now found it very interesting. And I think, you know, uh, like having the the intro into to Kubernetes is a very, um, you know, like nice uh, uh, intro into what we're going to actually do now. Um, so um, yeah, perfecting machine learning workloads on Kubernetes. Uh, I think it's good to like start off by highlighting the need for this talk. Um, and I think this this tweet that I found describes it really well. It's by Gina. Uh, Gina is not relevant to the story, but uh, she's actually quoting uh, someone here. So I'm going to read it out. Um, the story of enterprise machine learning. It took me three weeks to develop the model. It's been over 11 months and it's still not deployed. Uh, and this was actually a quote by uh, uh, a guy called Dinesh who is a, an automation engineer at uh, IBM. Um, and if this is true, you know, like something, something's actually going wrong here. And I, I think there's a lot to, uh, uh, that we can win here. So um, this was in the start of uh, 2018, as you can see, the, the tweet was in 2018, but it's not much different, you know, today. And, and we can back that up with um, some statistics. Um, 
which is that actually 87% of data science projects don't reach production. Um, this was uh, the result of a report that was done by uh, Gartner, who's a, a big uh, IT consultancy uh, firm. Um, and there, there's multiple other studies that, that actually uh, um, come to the same conclusion. Um, and what the Gartner study actually shows is that there's two main causes for um, for the fact that, that they don't get into production. The first one is the data quality and data availability. So for um, most companies, either they don't collect enough data to do machine learning uh, or they do, but uh, the data is very scattered inside the company and, and therefore it's just not possible to, to build a machine learning use case. Um, the second uh, main cause, and that's the one I wanna talk to you about today is the lack of collaboration between data scientists, uh, IT, and engineering, and um, it, it, I think I think this is one of the main problems. Basically, because all these people that we see here, uh, data scientists, IT, engineering, they all speak different languages, and they all have to. All these stakeholders in these machine learning projects need to come together um, and uh, 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 you know understand ML, machine learning, understand the tools understand the problems that they're trying to solve. Um, and, uh, and and that's that's pretty tough. I think that's what makes machine learning a very tough problem. And uh, this is a great, that is a great, I think you said the stakeholder. Oh yeah, you can. <laughs> but this is such a common theme. And I think it's also great to start out with, you know, like these human sort of elements, whether it's, you know, interest in culture, meditation, things like that, is because as much as we talk about technological problems, we're always talking about people problems. Like you said, people that don't speak the same language, or that there's tension or friction or silos or all these kind of things. I think the kind of question is, how can we all get more empathy into our organizations? Anyway, I'll let you handle that. I, I really like that comment part. I think that's, that's really that's really the case. And um, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, if you can tackle that problem, the, the tech will follow. Even though we need skilled tech people, I think I think that, that comes definitely comes next. Um, yeah, so to conclude this slide, basically, uh, as we can see, engineers are also part of the problem, right? And seeing as as I have a background in computer science and I do some engineering, I, I feel uh, it's also my responsibility to help solve that problem. Um, so uh, yeah, let's let, let's do that today. So um, I want to take you through three different sections of this presentation, uh, and the the overall goal of today will be to help you deploy machine learning workloads on Kubernetes. So I will start out by giving a, a brief introduction of uh, what machine learning actually is, and I will gear it towards you know the, the engineering uh, mind, uh, if you will, uh, uh, because we don't need to get into all the data science nitty gritty uh, to to be able to deploy models. Um, in the second section, we'll see how we can um, deploy some machine learning use cases and and specifications that we get to actual Kubernetes deployments and, and some of the tools that we can use for that. Uh, and in the final section, we'll, we'll have a quick demo and, and show you how, uh, how, how we can actually do that and, and implement uh, a use case. So uh, before we start, uh, who is this guy and, and why you know, should he be the one to, to, to tell you or to inform you on how to do this? Um, so again, my name is Lars. I have a background in computer science. I hold a bachelor's from uh, Leiden University here in the Netherlands. Um, 
after my bachelor's, I started off as a machine learning engineer at a consultancy where I had the chance to um, help many different companies uh, actually implement their machine learning use cases. Um, after that, basically a spin-off of that consultancy, I uh, started working as a software engineer at Deploy, where we tried to take all the learnings from uh, the machine learning implementations that we had you know, at, at those companies and merge them into a product that could uh, help solve, solve some of these problems. Uh, so that's what I, I still do today. Um, next to that, my main interest, you know, professionally are, are uh, AI machine learning and also distributed systems. So, you know, that's where the, the Kubernetes uh, part comes in, but also, uh, you know, distributed ledger uh, technology. And uh, yeah, Bart already briefly mentioned it, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really in love with a medita both meditation and plants, uh, which is not relevant for your talk, but, you know, just uh, just some nice background. It is relevant for the talk. It is relevant for this talk. And Tim actually even asked, <laughs> what kind of meditation do you do, if you want to share that? What kind of, so I, I mainly practice two kinds of meditation, um, mindfulness meditation and uh, open heart meditation, of which uh, most of my time is spent on mindfulness meditation. Um, can we so, get, can uh, we get like a 20 second definition or like the difference between the two? Yeah, sure. So mindfulness meditation really tries to help you focus on uh, the present, being mindful of the present. So, uh, you know, one of the techniques that you often uh, hear is focusing on your breath. And with open, uh, open heart meditation, what you really do is, is you try to uh, focus on uh, emotions, how that makes you feel. Uh, you can meditate on certain um, uh, connections that you have with other people and, and you know, what, what you feel in them. And uh, it, it, I know it sounds all a bit fuzzy, but, but no, you know, no, once no. you start digging into it, there, there's some hard science there. So we talk about the data on Kubernetes community sounds plenty fuzzy. What you, you just described sounds amazing and very practical. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like hearing that. All right. So let's get into the, the first part of this presentation, which will be the, the machine learning for engineers. And let's start with a machine learning one-on-one. So um, uh, basically uh, we have to start at like a problem, right? Because machine learning solves a problem. And that's the pro some problems that are, are very hard to solve with, with regular software. And that's basically because some problems just have such a high uh, number of parameters that are involved in those problems that it, it, it's near to impossible, if not impossible, to solve it with regular uh, software. Uh, so an example would be, and this is a very common example in the machine learning uh, space, is the handwritten digits classification or uh, uh, MNIST. And the goal of this classification is to take a handwritten digit, like one that you see in the corner, and um, classify it as being a digit. So let's say uh, we take uh, like the top, one of the top images, we want to classify that as being a zero. Now, if you start looking at, you know, how can I solve this with traditional software or I wouldn't say traditional, but regular software. Um, well, you know, th this is pretty hard. So I, I, I think the image here is uh, about 16 pixels by 16 pixels wide. Um, 16 times 16, help me out here too. Is that 256? I don't know. It's like two to the 56, um, uh, two to the power of 56 amount of possible states that this, this image can have. And if you have to program that with like if statements and, you know, that, that that's just not doable. 
Um, so basically what machine learning tries to do is it tries to take an algorithm that is able to take in all of these parameters and try and train this algorithm to uh, solve this classification problem um, and, and train it with, the, with a lot of training data. So basically we get an algorithm, we train it, and we let that algorithm solve our problem. Um, uh, yeah, so the, the problem that we would try to solve here would be the MNIST classification. So if we put in a handwritten digit, the, the, the model would, you know, uh, spew out number four. And uh, this is what data scientists mainly do. And there's a lot of frameworks for this. We're not going to dive into that today because uh, we're, we're, we're diving into the Kubernetes part of this. But um, there's a lot of frameworks that data scientists use to uh, implement these, these algorithms and to, to solve these problems. Um, so a machine learning model like this, as we see it here, um, can be in the back end of any application. You know, there's there's actually many use cases for recognizing handwritten stuff, digits, words. Uh, so it, it should be in the back end of, of any of, of applications. And um, it's a good thing they can be containerized. So that's that that's uh, what we'll do later up in the presentation. But that's that's something uh, nice to to keep in mind. Now, another aspect of machine learning that's that's relevant to understand when you try and deploy uh, machine learning on Kubernetes is explainers uh, and explainability within a machine learning space. So um, there's a lot of use cases that not just uh, would be nice to have an explainer for, but sometimes is actually required by uh, law, by regulation to, to have uh, uh, an explainer. So what an explainer basically is, is it's another algorithm that will help explain uh, what the model does. So uh, in the case of our handwritten digits example, it can be a model that tries to explain for a given output that the model has. So let's say it classifies uh, a digit as the number zero. Uh, uh, an explainer could uh, try and show you which input values would be, uh, uh, had been relevant for that prediction according to the model. Um, and this is very relevant uh, if you if you start to you know if banks start to uh, include uh, machine learning into their operations you know uh, if, if they decide your credit score or whatever it, it, it's very relevant to know why they give a certain credit score to a certain person um, so uh, it's good to know that sometimes data scientists create these explainers and these also need to be deployed next to your machine learning model in order to give out um, you know real-time explanations of uh, output by machine learning model um, yeah and then let's uh, let's go into uh, 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 how machine learning is actually different from your average API uh, that you deploy on kubernetes um, and I've, I've broken them down into to five different categories so uh, if we start with the compute intensity um, the compute intensity of, of your average API is, is pretty low, right? Like the most intense thing it, it does is, is um, uh, you know, do a database lookup or, or some minor, you know, computation, but, but, you know, not a whole lot of number crunching usually. With machine learning models, that's, that's very different. Um, it, it really depends on the model. Simple models can be very similar to, to regular APIs in that they don't use a whole lot of resources. But when you look at more complicated models that try to, you know, that need to do a whole lot of number crunching, um, these can can require some more beefy 
uh, hardware uh, like uh, GPUs. There's there's a specific uh, uh, piece of hardware called TPU, the Tensor Processing Unit, which is uh, specifically made for uh, machine learning uh, applications. So this is already here. We can already see a difference between traditional regular software and, and machine learning uh, models. Data intensity, they're usually very similar. So they, you know, input can be um, images, text, whatever. It's the same for machine learning. So in that regard, they, they, they usually don't differ that much. Uh, however, when we get to monitoring, there, there's a big, big difference there. So with um, your average API, uh, if you've listened to the, the, the previous talk, and I think it was also talked by uh, Alvarez, where you guys uh, did some Prometheus stuff. Um, you want to do some uh, technical monitoring on regular APIs, like uh, you know, see how much CPU it consumes, how much RAM, network traffic, all that good stuff. When we go to machine learning, um, there's another type of monitoring that we need to do, which is statistical monitoring. Um, uh, two two main types of monitoring that you have there are outlier monitoring, uh, monitoring for outliers, and monitoring for drift. Uh, these are machine learning specific um, problems that we try to solve, but um, I won't go into deep into them there. But remember that um, this is also something that uh, data scientists sometimes want to deploy with um, with their machine learning models. Now, if you look at when we actually want to update the software or the models with regular software, you want to uh, update it when you find bugs or when you just want your API to do something different. With machine learning, there's, again, there's more a little bit more to it. So if the context of your model changes, so let's say that um, you switch from, uh, you know, Roman uh, or let's say our Western numbers to uh, I don't know, so the, the Roman alphabet and you, you're working with X's and stuff, um, th that's not going to work. So that was what we call context change. Uh, but also when, you know, your data scientist has created a model that is more accurate than the previous model, um, that, that's, that's moments that you actually want to update your model. And the final one is uh, how to update them. So if you look at uh, traditional APIs, Usually there's a high uh, degree of automation. So when software engineers uh, write code and they push it to, uh, to Git, for example, um, you know, there's a CICD pipeline commit uh, that, that starts to run and the code will get automatically deployed into uh, hopefully a, a Kubernetes environment. Um, when we look at machine learning models, there, there isn't really yet a very standardized way to go about this. So the, the data scientists would train a new model, but how to actually deploy this, that, that, that's, that's it's not an open question. There's standards that are starting to form and we will talk about that today, but um, uh, there, there's no winner yet as in, you know, as you have with Kubernetes. Um, yeah, and then finally, if we try to put this all together, so the knowledge that we've had so far of machine learning, um, is, you know, this could be a, a very uh, simple form of how you would implement this. It might already be helpful to start thinking about um, containerization and, and, you know, like how these different components would fit into a different container, which is kind of a spoiler, but, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's give, give out of the information. Um, so what we see here is, is a machine learning model deployment that would just function as any other API. So there's, I don't know if you can see my mouse, I think you can. Uh, a request comes in, 
there is a pre-processing step usually. So that uh, tries to, you know, if you send in an image to a model, it can resize the image or, uh, you know, do some other um, fancy stuff with it. Then it goes into the model. The model actually uh, tries to come up with uh, a prediction or an output, and it goes into post-processing where it tries to synthesize that output into something that is useful to, you know, maybe other applications. Um, and then also we talked about explainers. An explainer is usually deployed next to it to have to fetch a live uh, prediction. Now, if we go into a little bit more advanced, so we also talked about monitoring. Um, this is what a deployment would look like if we included the machine learning monitoring, right? So we would have uh, a logger, which basically sends all the incoming requests that come to the model to a different subsystem, which is the alerting system. And then, you know, you can have any number of uh, detection uh, model systems here that are provided by the data scientists and they could generate alerts like, oh no, like the model starts, you know, predicting very weird things. You should take a look at it. Like that can be, uh, uh, you know, a simple way of uh, saying we need to update the model. Um, okay. So yeah, this is the machine learning 101 for, for uh, engineers. And I hope you have an idea of, you know, not like a little bit of what machine learning is and also how um, that would, how as a system machine learning would look like in, in a deployment, uh, in, in an infrastructure environment. Okay, we got, we got a couple of questions. Um, okay. Is the explainer a form of metadata then? Um, it's not a form of metadata. So what an explainer, uh, uh, an explainer is usually an algorithm. And because your input space for the model is, is usually infinite, uh, it's not metadata because we cannot, we, we don't know yet upfront what kind of predictions will come in. Um, so we have to on the spot, try and explain a specific prediction. So, um, but if you, if you look at, well, uh, I mean, we can go back to uh, the example here. If we look at, at um, this example, if we, you know, anyone can write a new number that in that form has never been written before. And then, you know, your model needs to, for that specific uh, number that you wrote, come up with why it thinks that is a number four or a number two. So, but it, 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 it is, it, you could consider it metadata to your explanation if, if that's, if that's how you put it, but it's not metadata as in it's data that's pre-stored and you can just uh, um, put out whenever you uh, want. Okay, good. I hope that answers uh, the question. Yeah, no, we got a couple other questions though too. Um, this cool. one, do you also want A-B testing with ML models? Yeah, very good question. Uh, yeah, definitely. You, you Usually the, um, the, the data scientist can already try and do some um, testing himself and see how the models compare. You know, with when, when you look at a, a traditional software, sometimes behavior, you know, you need to, to have two, two different um, versions of your software next to each other. If, if, if you're looking more at like um, machine learning models that try to increase engagement and you need to, you don't know yet, you know, what uh, increase in engagement a certain machine learning model can can generate then definitely you want to a b test that and you know see which model uh, performs better but sometimes your data scientist can already give you uh, a, a sneak peek and uh, tell you which one will uh, do better you know 
Good. And one last question. Um, is input data quality and validation also part of pre-processing? Um, yeah, so usually you would have some kind of input validation in place. Uh, preferably, it would not reach the model if, if the input is not correct. So uh, uh, you could your pre-processing step could definitely be some kind of validation or you know it could convert some data types into data types that your model understands. Um, so in, in that sense, definitely your, your pre-processing step can be uh, both validation and uh, uh, you know, some arithmetic to, to get your input into the right shape. Yeah. All righty, keep going. Boom. All right. Um, so let's look at how we can take what we just saw, the schematic, and uh, how can we translate this into something that we can deploy onto uh, Kubernetes. And um, uh, the good news is you don't have to start from scratch. There's a lot of great tooling uh, out there that you know takes a lot of the work out of your hands. Um, there's, uh, uh, I'm just mentioning three open source frameworks here. I, I bet you there's more, but these are the ones that, that I'm familiar with. Uh, BentoML, Seldom Core, and Kubeflow Serving. Um, and they all uh, provide tooling for basically three different things, sometimes more, but that's more fancy. Uh, the first one is the deployment of machine learning files. So when, when we think of machine learning files, it's basically the artifact that data scientists create. So it's the, the output, uh, basically the model in file form. And, and that's, that's what you want to deploy into Kubernetes. And then these frameworks can do that for you. So as an engineer, as a cloud infrastructure engineer, you don't have to you know, start writing Python and, and build it into an API. Uh, all these tools do that for you. So that's very nice. Um, they also provide networking tools. So we'll, we'll get into uh, specific networking tools later, but they do networking for, you know, when you deploy a model, uh, sometimes they also um, uh, implement A-B testing capabilities and the, you know, the routing for that. So that's really cool. And also finally, not unimportant scaling. So they provide you with ways to, um, um, automatically have your models scale once more traffic comes in or, you know, um, that, that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, th this is all available natively uh, on, on Kubernetes, of course, but if you had to do this by hand, it would just be a lot more work. Um, and what these all have in common is that usually they implement a custom resource definition. I think if you've, you've watched some um, data on Kubernetes talks before, uh, you will know that what it is, but I'll give a brief summary. So uh, a custom resource is basically um, uh, uh, an entity that extends the Kubernetes API, right? So in, within Kubernetes, we have pods, we have deployments, we have services. Um, but if you want to create your own entity that contains its own data, we use custom resource uh, definitions. And uh, all of these frameworks implement some form of uh, a custom resource definition. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we should uh, um, we should go and look at that later. Um, and today I want to dive into one of these frameworks, uh, the one that uh, I work with almost on a daily basis, which is uh, Kubeflow Serving. Uh, so uh, it's an open source project that was uh, uh, initiated by Google, actually. Uh, Kubeflow, which is the, the parent project, and then serving as like a child project, 
uh, was all initiated by Google, but uh, it's been picked up by uh, a lot of, uh, you know, open source contributors that are not necessarily linked to Google. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was talking about Kubeflow serving, which is a, um, a child uh, of, of uh, Kubeflow. And basically what Kubeflow uh, tries, intends to do is it, it tends to simplify deployment of um, uh, machine learning models onto Kubernetes. So that, that's the main premise. And then Kubeflow serving is the actual one of the actual components that, that does that for you. Um, if we look at the dependencies that, that Kubeflow serving uses, um, I told you we'd be coming back to this. So for networking, it uses Istio. Uh, if you haven't heard of Istio before, it is a pretty uh, big open source project building on top of Kubernetes. And it basically provides uh, uh, a lot of networking components. So uh, it creates a service mesh. It uh, uh, has some a form of an ingress. Um, and, uh, and that's what, what Kubeflow serving builds on top of. Then uh, for deployment and scaling, it uses Knative serving. So this was also mentioned in, in the previous talk, um, but if you haven't attended that one, the Knative is basically uh, a serverless framework on top of Kubernetes. So it allows you to deploy applications that are serverless. So they, they can scale down all the way to zero. And once traffic comes in, they can scale up. Uh, so that's also what, what Kubeflow serving use, uh, uses. And finally, it uses a cert manager to provision uh, um, TLS certificates to applications that you uh, that you deploy. Okay, so um, yeah, let's move on to the the custom resource definition that Kubeflow implements and uh, that that helps you uh, deploy machine learning on Kubernetes. And the 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 CRD in question is 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 an is called the inference service. Um, and I've, I've given an example of, of what that looks like here. Um, so this is, I think, the, the, the simplest uh, machine learning deployment that you can make using Kubeflow serving. And uh, we'll, we'll go through what, what, what each um, component in this uh, inference service means. So we start off with a, a predictor, which is basically um, the class that specifies your machine learning model. So this is where you would um, start uh, describing what your model looks like. Now, if we continue, uh, we specify a machine learning framework. So if you remember before, uh, in a couple slides back, data scientists use a lot of different frameworks to build their machine learning uh, models. Now, we as cloud infrastructure engineers, you know, are not necessarily familiar with these frameworks, um, but what Kubeflow Serving does is it uh, provides an API for you to select which framework your data scientist used, and then uh, you can uh, uh, select that framework and, and, and go from there. So that's really cool. So uh, we see here uh, scikit-learn, which is a, a model framework uh, for uh, machine learning. We see a protocol version, which is uh, not re very relevant. It, it just specifies uh, how to interact with the API. And, uh, and a storage URI. So this is where, um, this is a very important part. So we specify here uh, a reference to blob storage. Um, inside of that blob storage, that's where actually the models are saved. So the machine learning models are stored into blob storage. And when we deploy it onto Kubernetes, the, the services pull the model files from blob storage and they initialize and uh, 
and um, yeah, serve them. So here you can see we, we reference to a uh, Google Cloud Storage um, uh, link, basically where, where the model is, is saved. All right, so we can make things a little bit more complicated. So we can go to a little bit uh, of a bigger uh, inference service, uh, but don't be afraid, we'll, we'll you know pick it apart one by one. So we start with a transformer. This would be uh, your pre-processor or your post-processor. So uh, we can implement uh, pre and post-processors as transformers. And we can implement those as custom containers, which is really nice. So we can um, uh, specify, uh, you know, like I could see here, uh, a specific image that we can pull from Docker Hub or wherever your uh, Docker image is stored, uh, a name and uh, uh, some other uh, environment variables that you might want to use. Um, min replicas. So as I mentioned before, Qplus serving makes use of Knative serving, which allows us to scale all the way down to zero, which is uh, yeah very nice. And that's actually what we do here. So by setting the minimum amount of replicas to zero, uh, we allow ourselves to scale down to zero if there's no traffic. So the machine learning model will be undeployed. And once traffic comes in, we'll quickly deploy it again to serve those requests coming in. And then finally, we specify resources. And this is also very important. What we do here is we basically tell uh, Kubernetes um, how many resources your machine learning model will need. So CPU, memory. Um, uh, so, so that's very important because some models require a lot of, uh, of, of resources, um, but also you don't want to overprovide. So you don't want to give machine learning models, you know, 10 times the amount of resources that they need because you know resources cost money. So you want to prevent that. All right, let's go to uh, the last uh, spec that we're going to look at. Um, another thing that we can do is we can have node selectors. Um, so if you're familiar with Kubernetes, what node selectors allow us to do is it allows us to specify a specific node pool within Kubernetes um, that we want to deploy this model on. So let's say you have a, a machine learning model that requires a GPU, uh, we can actually select here a node type that, that has a, uh, a GPU. Uh, logging, so this would be important for the alerting system that we discussed earlier. I'm not going to dive into this too much, but uh, okay. just know that it's there. We do, have a, we do have a question from a previous point. Do you also scale down the transformer? Uh, yeah, so actually, so that, that's a that's a very good point. So it's specified here for the uh, uh, the predictor, but we can specify this also on a transformer and uh, the explainer and every other component that you would have. So it's very nice because for every component, every component is different and uh, also in, in resources and you know how we want to deal with it. So it's very nice that per component we can select. Um, how our deployment strategy basically. So, so um, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, so yes, uh, you, you can also do that for a transformer. Um, and we discussed the logger and then finally the explainer. So the explainer that we talked about, sometimes you need to be able to explain in real time um, uh, why a certain prediction was made according to the model. And we also have an implementation for that. Um, and uh, here we can see uh, explainer Alibi, which is, an uh, again, it's a, a machine learning framework for 
explainability. So um, I, we don't need to know a whole lot about alibi. We just need the data scientist to tell us, oh, I use alibi. And then we know, okay, let's, let's, let's implement it like that. Cool, so let's end with this cheat sheet I made for you guys. So um, if we combine everything, um, if you want to deploy machine learning on the Kubernetes, there's a, a couple of things that you need to ask your data scientist and then you will know because of what we just discussed, how to deploy it. So uh, the first question would be online or batch. Will we need to uh, serve predictions live? You know, is there some client, some some someone on a computer that needs a prediction straight away when he inputs something? Or uh, do we need to, you know, do we run something nightly and do we do it in like thousands of predictions at a time? And do we store it somewhere for later use? That's something to, to keep in mind. That translates to the min replicas that we saw. Do we want to scale down when we have an online setting? Probably not, because you know if we have an online uh, setting at any point, a prediction can come in and we want to serve that straight away. We don't want to scale down to zero. Um, pipeline format. So ask your data scientist, do you want an explainer? Do you have pre-processing uh, processing steps? We can implement those using the transformer, predictor, and explainer tags in the inference service. Um, another important thing to ask your data scientist is, are you familiar with Docker? Or do you want me to straight away deploy your machine learning uh, model as a, a, a framework file? So if you know it's Docker, great. Have him wrap it in a Docker image. And then using the, the custom Docker image that we saw earlier, you can use that. If he doesn't, also fine. We because you know Kubeflow Serving provides us with those tools. Um, Another question: So you can use different explainers in this configuration. It's not necessarily bound to Alibi. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so um, uh, very good question. So th there's a couple that are supported out of the box, but if you have you know like a very uh, exotic uh, framework that you use or you build something custom. Uh, you can just wrap that into a custom Docker image and, and use that instead. So uh, you're not bound to um, what they provide out of the box. Yeah. Okay. Um, hardware requirements. So, you know, what does your model need? Ask your data scientist. Is it heavy? Does it need a GPU or will it be fine with a CPU and RAM? We can specify those using the node selector and uh, uh, resources uh, that we can specify. And finally, the monitoring. Do you need some kind of um, outlier detection or drift detection? If yes, implement it using the logger. And if you're you're interested in you know the specifics of, of uh, some of these uh, tags, definitely go to the Kubeflow serving uh, repo. I'll, I'll link to it uh, in the the Slack channel later on, uh, so you can take a look at it yourself. Um, but uh, these are the main points that you need to know in order to, to actually deploy. Okay. So now that we know how to make this translation, like, let's actually do it. So I'm gonna uh, change my, oh no, not yet. Um, let's look at an example, machine learning use case and let's, let's actually implement that. So um, let's imagine that we work at a bank and uh, the bank wants us to deploy a credit scoring model. And the data scientist tells us it is a scikit-learn model. Okay, that's good to know. Um, the credit score needs to be assigned once the request comes in, okay? 
we need to be able to explain the outcome to customers. So if the customer you know, wants to know why they get a certain credit score, we need to be able to provide it to them. The data scientist that built this model has no Docker experience, unfortunate, but you know, also fine. Um, the model, model and explainer requirements are, are shown here. And then uh, we don't need extra monitoring. So there, there won't be any outlier or drift detection so far. Um, uh, just uh, you know, a simple uh, plain um, machine learning deployment. Okay, well, we can fill in the cheat sheet, right? With all these facts. So, so let's do that. So uh, online or batch, well, uh, it says here that uh, the, the credit score is designed when the research, uh, when the request comes in. So that has to be online. Um, pipeline format, well, there's no monitoring, we just heard, but there is an explainer. So we have a model explainer, no pre or post processing was also mentioned. So no, no transformers. Our data scientist has no Docker experience. So we'll, we'll need to use the, the model framework. It was specified here, scikit-learn. Um, so we can just use the Kubeflow serving tags in order to, to deploy that. We got hardware requirements from the data scientist. So this is very nice. You won't always get this. Uh, so sometimes they train them on their computer and you know they have no idea of, of how heavy it would be. So you might have to experiment, but in this case, we just get them. So we can just uh, you know copy those. And finally, uh, no extra monitoring. So, um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's actually do that. So I'm going to uh, stop uh, or switch my screen sharing here. Um, and switch over to a different screen. Uh, we got one other question. What is your yeah. opinion or experience on using open source uh, tools in Kubernetes for machine learning versus something like versus something cloud platform provided like Azure machine learning? Sorry, come again. What is your opinion or experience on using um, open source tools and Kubernetes for machine learning as opposed to something uh, more cloud platform provided like Azure machine learning? Uh, very good question. So. Um... For me specifically, I, I try to stay away from um, the, the 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 cloud uh, solutions because that will they're not compatible with each other. Um, but if you have a company that's you know that only works on Azure or only works on um, some other uh, uh, cloud environment, then uh, definitely definitely use it. The open source versions because they run on top of Kubernetes, they work with with every uh, um, cluster in, in every kind of cloud. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to share uh, my screen here and let's, uh, let's actually deploy this. So on the right side, what I did is uh, I have here an Amazon S3 bucket. So remember how these models are stored on uh, S3 or on you know any kind of blob storage, so I did that. So the data scientist that provided me with uh, you know their model file and their explainer file, uh, I've uploaded them to uh, a bucket called Deploy Doc. Um, so I have here the income folder, 
I have a model folder with uh, uh, the, the model file, the sklearn file and explainer folder, which uh, uh, is a, a SHAP uh, explainer. We did not see that in the, the case, but I happen to know that. Um, okay, so let's uh, grab our uh, the requirements that we had and the cheat sheet that we fill out. So I'm gonna show those here. Um, is this legible? I think so, right? Okay, yeah, so- um, Looks good to be. If we get any comments, I'll let you know. Okay, cool. So um, yeah, on the left side here, what I did was I, I actually implemented the, the requirements that we got here. So let, let's walk through them. Uh, so we have an inference service. It has a name, doc income. Uh, I'm going to deploy it in the default Kubernetes namespace. Um, uh, we have a predictor, uh, which uh, has min replicas one because it needs to be uh, an online model. So we don't want it to scale down to zero. So we, we always need to have at least one uh, instance of our model available. We use the scikit-learn uh, model framework. We specify the resources. So these were the resources that were provided to us by, uh, um, by the data scientist. Uh, we specify a runtime version, which is uh, uh, not very relevant, but just tells us the version of uh, Kubeflow serving that we want to use. And here uh, we reference to uh, basically the, the location in the blob storage where our model is located. So you can see I specified the model folder specifically. So that's where all the, the files are. We don't specify a specific file because some uh, machine learning um, uh, formats have multiple files. So we, we select a folder for that. Um, for explainer, we have an alibi explainer, same thing with the resources. So we specify resources here. We have our runtime version again. We link to the blob storage, but this time the explainer location in the blob storage. And we select a um, explainer type. Now I, I did not include that here, but definitely ask your data scientists what kind of machine learning model they want to deploy if they want to deploy an alibi, um, uh, alibi explainer. Um, finally, uh, min replicas one, because uh, you know, like we also need to serve uh, explanations to customers uh, live. So, so we won't set that to zero either. Okay. Um, yeah, let's deploy this. So, um, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, the screen on the right here, uh, this is a, a, a tool that I use. It's called Lens. It's basically uh, an IDE. Uh, integrated development environment for Kubernetes. Um, so if you're familiar with Kubernetes, it, it will give me a very quick overview of uh, um, all the, the different uh, entities within Kubernetes and it's free. So if you haven't tried this yet and, and you're diving into Kubernetes, definitely give this a go. Um, so what we're looking at here is a Kubernetes cluster that I deployed using uh, Amazon uh, EKS. Uh, it's uh, version 1.18, I believe. And um, I installed Kubeflow Serving here. So to show you, uh, remember we uh, Kubeflow Serving has a few dependencies. Uh, one of them is Istio. So I deployed Istio here, as you can see in the, the Istio system namespace. If we go to the Knative Serving namespace, we'll see that we also deployed Knative Serving uh, because this was our dependency for uh, scaling and, and serverless capabilities. 
And then if we go to the cert manager namespace, we'll see that I've also deployed uh, a few cert manager um, uh, pods that, that will allow us to generate uh, TLS certificates uh, on the fly. Finally, um, there's only one pod for, um, for KF serving, which is the controller manager. And this is uh, the, the pod that will basically um, you know, do all the magic and, and deploy our model once we um, put it onto the, the cluster. So let's put it onto the cluster. Um, so I'll just go into my terminal here. I'll uh, see if I can uh, do the most simple command, kubectl get nodes. Um, it will show me that I have one node. Uh, it is version 1.18.9. And uh, yeah, we can we can get started here. So it's as simple as just applying this file uh, to to Kubernetes. So we'll do that now. So kubectl apply file, and I've, I did call it inference.yaml. So we'll run this. And it tells us the uh, inference service has been created. So if we look to our right already, we can see uh, some, some things happening. I don't want to look at that yet. What I do want to look at is um, the inference service custom resource definition that I talked about earlier. Uh, we can now see that our uh, doc income model that we specified here has been deployed in the default namespace. It will also tell us whether it's ready or not. Um, and it just went to true. So, so actually, the model is, is ready to receive uh, requests. And it also gives us a URL. And if we go back to the default namespace and look at the pods that are in them, we can see that uh, Kubeflow Serving deployed two uh, pods. The first one is a predictor. As we specified here, we have uh, the predictor spec, and it has all the, uh, the resources that we, we specified. And we have the explainer uh, pod. Uh, exactly same story. Also has the resources that we specified on the left side. Um, yeah, so now comes you know the the most interesting part, which is actually um, getting making a request and, and getting that prediction from the model. Um, so how we can do that is we can go to the URL that it provides us with. So because I set up Istio and a, a, a domain, I have here a doc.deploy.ml domain. Uh, so I can copy that, and then if I go to I create a shell script. Um, and actually, I already have secretly have the the, the URL in here. So uh, we're going to use a curl command, which is just uh, a, a tool um, that uh, makes uh, uh, HTTP requests for you. Um, and we're going to make a request to to uh, to the URL that was just provided to us by by the interface. Uh, and if you look into the Kubeflow serving documentation, it will tell you exactly how to form the URI that you see here. Um, for now, we can just assume that it's V1 models and then the name of your model and then predict. And uh, we're also going to give it some input. So we're not just going to call the model, but we'll also provide it with input, which is very important. Otherwise, it won't know what to create a prediction on. And I put the input into a JSON file here. So we can see that on the left side. So uh, a very simple JSON file, it, will, it, it um, defines the instances which is uh, the amount of cases that we want to fetch a prediction for, uh, which is basically just an array. 
And then this is, uh, this is the input that we want to fetch a prediction for. So it's an array of numbers. Uh, remember, we were deploying a credit score model. So all these numbers refer to a person and a specific uh, character trait uh, of that person to decide how uh, credit worthy this person is. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to go into the details of the input, um, um, but uh, let's, uh, let's just take it as is. And then what I can do now is I can run this shell script, which will then make the request. So I use the Z shell. So um, I um, Z shell infer SH. And we get a prediction back instantly. So this was, this was very fast. So, um, so remember, we sent this input to the model, and it, it gives us back a JSON uh, with the predictions and uh, zero. So you know, as as a, a cloud infrastructure engineer, we don't necessarily know what this means. Um, um, you know, usually the data scientist knows exactly what what this output would mean. The most important thing is that we just deployed a machine learning model onto the cluster, and we were able to uh, fetch a prediction from it, which means that we can now start integrating it into uh, the rest of the application. Remember, we also deployed an explainer. So if I just um, replace the word predict by explain, we can make the same. Oh, I think we're getting an error from the explainer. I don't think it currently likes the, the input that we send it. Um, but if you deploy an explainer next to your machine learning model, accessing uh, explanations from uh, from the explainer is as simple as, as just changing uh, changing the URL very slightly. Um, so yeah, this the, we, we have a machine learning model live, and and um, this is this is what we were hoping for, right? This is the stuff that we were trying to do during uh, um, during this talk. So I'm going to switch my screen again to the presentation. Um, let's get this up here. Let's remove me from this screen. Cool. All right. So, um, some closing thoughts on, on what we did today. Deployment of machine learning does not have to be hard. Uh, as we just saw, like I know we implemented a very simple use case, but um, um, you know, like if you have these tools and you know how to work with them, they, they can be infinitely complex and you know how to boil it down into a very simple single um, custom resource definition. Um, it doesn't have to be hard if you know your um, your tooling. So that's what we just did today. Also, uh, very important, know your machine learning basics. So uh, the stuff that we discussed earlier, know a little bit about some of the frameworks and some of the, 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 the setups, the model setups that we have. Oh, we got, a, we got another question. Uh, All right. From Nelly, what's up, Nelly? Uh, was the model predictor already trained, or is it training on the JSON input? Very good question. So, um, uh, data scientists, their their job is to actually create the model, and what creating means is they, they train an algorithm on on the data. So, uh, what we just did was we deployed a trained model, and we fetched a prediction from it. So uh, it, it, there, there's no training in what we did so far. The training uh, usually lies with uh, what, what the data scientist uh, does, yeah. All righty, good. 
Okay, it, it also doesn't have to be hard if you talk to your data scientist colleagues. So don't don't live in silos. It's going to be very hard, you know. Actually, approach these people. Ask, you know, what are you working on, and what can I do to help you get your your model into production? Establish your workflow with your data scientists. So we in 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 our space we call this machine learning operations MLOps. Um, find a way of working. That's nice. You know, you, these models are going to need to be updated. Uh, frequently, um, and if you don't have a workflow with your uh, data scientists, that 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 is going to be a pain. So so definitely uh, establish that. Start simple. Don't you know? Try implementing this crazy uh, AI case that you know is going to uh, uh, be very painful for you to implement. Start simple. You know, like uh, have a simple model, have a simple setup. Um, you know, if you if you're just getting started with this, um, try to deploy some of the sample uh, models uh, that, that are provided. And uh, yeah, get your machine learning use cases uh, to production. So um, very brief, Bart, um, if you have deployed you know, uh, uh, models uh, a few times with, with Kubeflow serving, you'll see that there is a lot more actually to getting a production worthy uh, machine learning use case live. So we're talking authentication, monitoring, um, you know, explainers, all that stuff. Uh, so um, that's, th that's the company that I work for now, Deploy. Uh, and and we, we tried to, we actually built a tool that, that helps uh, data scientists manage their own machine learning deployments on Kubernetes using uh, Kubeflow serving. Um, so if, if, you know, you're looking to level up your, your uh, machine learning deployment game, uh, yeah, feel free to uh, uh, to give us a call. And uh, with that, I would yeah like to close off. So if you have any questions, uh, feel free to ask them now or reach out to me. I will be in the uh, Data on Kubernetes Slack channel as well uh, a little bit after the, the talk to you know answer any questions that you might have. Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, and uh, yeah, make sure to also check out the Deploy website um, to see uh, if it's interesting to you. And uh, with that, Bart. Thanks for, uh, for having me. Absolute pleasure. I think we can all agree that Deploy must be a good place because you're working there and they're very lucky to have you. <laughs> um, so no, no, but seriously, that was a fantastic presentation. Very, very nice, very technically focused, um, very easy to follow. The comments uh, were evidence of that. Um, we will have a couple of other questions for myself as well as from uh, other attendees that would like to continue the conversation. But seriously, very, very good. This was meetup number 61 um, and is definitely one of the more solid ones that we've seen. So Lars, we will probably have to have you back. That being cool. said, can I get you to stop sharing your screen really quickly? Or maybe you already did? Yeah, I already did, yeah. Cool. Um, you may have seen the previous meetup, but we have a tradition in the data on Kubernetes community. While you, are giving your, while you are giving your brilliant explanation, our good friend Angel is in the background drawing. So let me know when you see my screen. <laughs> so here we have a very interesting depiction of a lot of different things, kind of showing you as a very fair and balanced figure between these different sort of areas that can be conflictive, as you mentioned in the beginning. And it also can, it kind of came full circle with the cheat sheet of the different things to keep in mind there about how to interact with the, you know, the data scientists, engineers, we have IT, we have DevOps people with all these different mindsets that can very often be conflicting. Um, but I think that's a nice depiction. And uh, a little bit of retro stuff, apart from Deep Blue, Anka wasn't sure based on your age if you would get the HAL 9000 reference. I think you probably do. 
Um, I, I know the reference, um, but I'm, I'm quite ashamed to say I, I haven't seen it yet. It's, it's... The Data on Kubernetes community is a space that is dedicated to learning, so don't worry, Lars. That is the oh, that is reference to 2001 Space Odyssey, which is just a way of saying that I'm old and Angel is even older, not not by much. <laughs> He's going to hate me for saying that. But, uh, but anyway, a very, very wonderful presentation, very well-rounded, technical, wasn't a vendor pitch. Um, if for folks that were in the audience, if you have a community and you want someone to give a great talk, you look no further. Lars, that was, that was really, really good. Um, so yeah, I think I think now the next step is uh, to put these to put these uh, practical tips into practice, um, as you as you clearly indicated how that can all be done. And um, like I said, we we still have some questions we didn't get to, so we can continue the conversation in Slack. But anyway, thank you very very much yeah, let's do that. for having to get started with a little bit of speed bumps because literally running from one meetup to another. But that's just how these things go sometimes. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you very much, Lars, and have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me, Bart, and uh, yeah, talk to you later.